0: Hi, on the 5th and 6th of June 2024, I'll be speaking at the largest AI event in Asia, Super AI in Singapore at the iconic Marina Bay Sands. Alongside brilliant minds like Edward Snowden, Benedict Devon and Balaji Srinivasan, I'll be on a stage exploring the extraordinary potential of AI and the profound change it represents not just for financial markets, but also for the world as we know it. With over 5,000 attendees and over 150 side events, Singapore will become a vibrant hub for a full week from the 3rd and 9th of June. Visit superai.com to register and join me with 20% off tickets using the code REALVISION. Use the link in the description and I'll see you there. It's going to be incredible.
1: Welcome to Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Wednesday, February 28, 2024. I'm Ash Bennington. Our main guest today is Greg Weldon, CEO of Weldon Financial. But first, a special segment to talk about price action in crypto with Raul Powell, CEO and co-founder of Real Vision. Raoul,
0: welcome. Well, it's great to be here. And I'm sorry to steal Greg's thunder a little bit. Greg is one of my favorite people in the space. So you need more of Greg and less of me. But I just wanted to pop on because there's a lot going on. Be that as it may, Rao, what do you make of these markets? This is, you know, I, I, I try and distill everything down to the idiot proof version. And, you know, crypto goes through these cycles crypto winter, crypto spring. And all of last year, I so said we're in crypto spring. And we're just in the moment of transitioning to summer. It's a little bit early according to the calendar, but you can see it happening. And crypto summer usually leads to something. I refer to as the banana zone when everything goes a bit bananas, and that's what's happening now. Coinbase today went down because they'd stress tested their system for 10x the number of usual order flow, and Brian Armstrong posted today that they exceeded it today. Something woke up retail investors. If you remember, Coinbase has about 110 million accounts, of which about 10 million are currently active. So that's kind of still bear market kind of numbers. So as people become active, it's a lot of load and new people um, getting into the space. So, And and by the way, an
1: unfortunate, for those who don't know, an unfortunate side effect of this system issue that they had was folks went onto the app, they looked at their account and they saw zero balances.
0: (laughs) Only in crypto, right? It's a total shit show, even at the best of times. It's all part of the fun. You know, suddenly there's no money. Everyone's like, oh my God, what's happened? Um, I even saw it posted internally on Slack. It's like, what the hell has happened to my crypto? Uh, and you're the market gyrates. Let's
1: take a look at those charts while you're talking about this route. Uh, we've got Bitcoin. We've got Solana. Yeah, so got-
0: Bitcoin today, uh, at one point, hit sixty-four thousand. You know, sixty-nine thousand, whatever is the all-time high. So the market has got that right in its sights, and it wants to get there as fast as possible now. Uh, and that you know tends to drag in more people. What's going on really here is what's known as reflexivity. It's a loop where. They launch the ETF, BlackRock, and everybody go and solicit from their best accounts order flow. It launches that order flow drives prices up because they're buying Bitcoin. The price is going up, causes the RAAs to go to their clients and go, Oh my god, the price is going up. You should buy Bitcoin. That that leads to more buying of Bitcoin, Bitcoin's price goes up, and so on and so forth. You know, in a relatively illiquid asset, um, it can create quite the fireworks. And that's the kind of loop we got going on here. The next one to join that loop, that reflexivity loop, is going to be Ethereum. When the when the ETF is announced for that, we'll play the same game all over again with Ethereum. So you know, there's it's driven just by really the RAA flows. If you see the size of the CTF, I mean, it is huge. It's going in the first couple of months do more than the than the gold ETF did in its first year. Which got to ten billion. Um, you know, at this rate, it may even be larger than than GLD. Um, so, uh, you know, in its first year alone. So let's see. There's no mania like a crypto mania, and we're starting, and it's early days yet. This will go well in. That's the chart of Solana as well, which uh, I think Greg will love. That that nice little wedge pattern is the sort of thing that you know, him and I will look for because stuff like this, when they break, that's just an acceleration point. It's you know had a huge run up, nice consolidation, chopped around, forms a wedge. Next part of that is generally into hyperspace. So the space itself is very bullish. You can pick up any chart in crypto right now, and they all look insanely bullish. That's the part of the cycle. I mean, it's crazy. It's February, end of Feb, and Ethereum is up 50%. I mean, that was what the Nasdaq did last year, which was an extraordinary year. So it is crazy in where we are. But that's the crypto market for you. You know, my general view is we've got liquidity to come. Liquidity, whether China kicks it off because they've got a big mess going on. Um and so over time, as liquidity comes into the market, we've got the election coming up, that they tend to give out candy over the election, which is some sort of stimulus. Stimulus drive prices higher. Higher prices bring in higher prices, and so it goes. So it's all started. Crypto summer is just kicking off. You can see spring just passing through now. And, uh, you know, get used to this. And don't forget people will struggle. It's volatile. Don't use leverage. Don't FOMO. Don't do dumb shit. Um, You know, just stick with it. Be careful. Don't get overexcited. Uh, You will have 35% pullbacks, and they'll happen in a day. And you'll think, what the you know, what the hell is going on? So yeah, just be careful out there. As I always say, don't fuck this up. It's always a great opportunity. Um, but approach with caution.
1: Don't do dumb shit would be a perfect Real Vision t-shirt.
0: <laughs> well, listen, all kidding aside,
1: uh, we appreciate you shifting around our, your schedule uh, to be with us today to give us this update. Before we pull Greg into the conversation, any final thoughts you'd like to leave folks with?
0: No, just listen to Greg. He knows what he's doing. Well,
1: that's a perfect segue, man.
0: All right, guys, take care out there and uh, don't fuck this up, as I said. All right. See you soon. Thanks
1: Thanks for joining us, Raoul.
0: Hey, Greg, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Ash, what's
2: going on? Great spot with Raoul, my my main man.
1: Wow, it's it's really a pleasure to have you with us. And I should say you were listening to that. Uh, Any thoughts that you'd like to add uh, to those points that Raoul made?
2: Well, I mean, first of all, I moved to Florida, so it's summer all the time here. So crypto summer you know, fits perfectly with what's going on here, spring training and whatnot. Um, I would say a couple of points that he kind of touched upon are really interesting in the context of how this market is trading, and it is trading like some of the metals did in the early 80s. It's trading like a maturing market that hasn't yet reached a maturity stage where it actually trends. And you have these kind of... Pushes, you know, that is aided by the illiquidity still that exists there too. So I think it's been a it's been a market that's traded fairly. I hate to use this word, but somewhat predictably, it's very tight technically. Let's put it that way. So I think that you, you've had you've been able to play the breakouts. And when he shows shows the chart of Solana, I mean that is a great technical pattern when you have these kind of ascending uh, lower highs. Against a flat top, I actually call that the launching pad pattern because it leads to liftoff. Uh, so that's kind of what you've seen in some of these things. I would agree too that Ethereum, to me, makes a lot of sense, kind of even longer term. I think that it has uh, some of the some of the benefits that uh, you know don't necessarily apply in terms of Bitcoin for that longer term growth. And frankly, it's held up very well relative to Bitcoin on a ratio basis, pretty much until today. Uh, I would also point out that. You know, when you want to talk about RIAs and bringing the financial kind of investment world in, I mean, that was the goal five years ago. So here it is. You know, you've got it. You've got what you wanted. And, and here it is. And, of course, it's as exciting as you wanted it to be uh, to the degree that uh, at the same time, uh, you know, again, uh, you, you were outperforming the S&P 500 in Bitcoin by 118%. That's 1100, you know, it's 1180 basis points. Uh, even more than actually, it's point uh, you know, uh, eight basis points in terms of the outperformance over the S&P over the last 52 weeks. Ethereum's in the same camp. It's outperforming gold. It's outperforming everything. So to that extent, you know, we've been long. We, we recommended buying it as well, I think on this show too, the last time I was on. So we're, uh, it's summer, we're riding the wave because I'm a surfer dude at heart.
1: We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision daily briefing.
3: Join over 5,000 attendees for the largest AI event in Asia at Super AI Singapore, June 5th and 6th, 2024. Raoul Pal, Benedict Evans, Balaji Srinivasan, Edward Snowden, and over 150 others will join the industry's most influential to explore and unveil the next wave of transformative AI technologies. Singapore will become a vibrant AI hub for a week from June 3rd through June 9th with over 150 side events that will make for unparalleled networking opportunities. Visit www.realvision.com forward slash for 20% off tickets with the code REALVISION or click below.
2: At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of
3: life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best, it's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder.
1: Yeah, and by the way, not only outperforming the S&P 500, but outperforming an S&P 500 that trailing 12 months is up 28%. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is what's going to draw that investment crowd in. It, it kind of gives the impression that it it is a viable hedge against some of the geopolitical risk, against some of the stock market risk. Because let's not kid ourselves, the stock market is detached as it's ever been from the underlying economic fundamentals. And you could say the economy is strong, and you could look at the GDP numbers. But I could rip the economy apart in many shreds from many different angles, to where it is not as strong, I think, as it might appear on the surface and that there's the piper to be paid down the road for that in equities and how that relates back to the Fed and policy and the market got ahead of itself and the forward funds market. You know, holy mackerel, there's a lot going on there too. And of course, I'd have to throw in, you know, I don't know that this is a direct impact right now in terms of order flow, but in my mind, the fact that you have a lot of currencies in the world imploding right now and the dollar's not rallying, so to me, this is kind of showing us the way that maybe Bitcoin becomes something that's a protection against a lot of this currency fluctuation in places where, the, you know, the purchasing power of the currency is just absolutely getting decimated. It's the lengthening list of places.
1: And I could talk for about six hours and listen to you unpack some of those points that you just made in the first five minutes of the show. <laughs> uh, let me go back to something you said when you first started talking about Bitcoin, because I found it fascinating. You know, one of the reasons why we love having you on the show, Greg, is because of the experience that you have. You said something that was so interesting to me, comparing Bitcoin today in 2024 to the precious metals market developing in the 1980s. Boy, that's such an interesting and insightful point. Tell us a little bit more about that.
2: Because it's so familiar to me. I mean, I, you know, I don't know, most people know the the story of how I started a business, but for those who don't, I mean, I was, you know, I played basketball at Colgate University. I had a tryout with the Sixers. I didn't make it. I was looking at two European teams that was going to go play ball in Europe. And a friend of mine worked on a Florida Commise exchange in the gold pit in the World Trade Center. It was his birthday. It was one of my best friends from high school. I went in on a Friday night to take him out for his birthday. And I walked out to the floor and I'm there and I'm like, oh my God, this, this is unbelievable. I mean, the place is huge. You know, it's, or, or you no, know, it doesn't exist anymore, but, you know, it's trading places. I mean, the picture on my wall is, I'm in this picture. This is, you know, this is where the movie took place. So I'm there and wait for my friend to get done. The gold market had closed. He's right doing his write course, courses, paper everywhere because it was all on paper then. And I'm standing there and I'm, you know, I'm 6'10". And, you know, I strike a, a physical pose. And this gentleman comes over and he's like 70. And he was about 6'4". And we start talking hoops. He played at NYU in the 40s when it was big time Madison Square Garden Mecca of college basketball days. So we talked for 15 minutes about hoops. And my friend's ready to go. So we go, we're going out of the town. We're walking across the floor, and they look at me. How do you get a job here? This place is amazing. You can't. There was no schools or classes for this kind of thing back then. And he says, "You got to know somebody." So "Look, you've been here two years. Don't you know anybody?" He goes, "That guy you just talked to owns the largest firm on the floor." I turned around and went and asked him for a job. Because of my size, he hired me on the spot. So basketball was gone, and uh, you know, I started my new career in the silver pit. Actually, what's familiar about it is the movements. I mean, I remember days when silver would open limit up trade to limit down and finish limit up. And that, you know, Rel, the other point that he made, that's really appropriate here. Uh, you know, and caution is the word is you're going to see these swings because everything is, you know, the volatility is more intensified and everything already as it is generally speaking. And when you throw something like this into the mix, it could be a really hairy ride, man, for sure.
1: Sixers had some great teams during those days. But boy, I have to say one of the reasons why uh, I love finance, it's like the only thing that you get better at the more you see it, right? You get older every decade, you just learn more.
2: You know, and that's why I made the decision because I was like, take this job or go and try and, you know, follow the dream in Europe. And I said, look, I can maybe go follow the dream. Maybe I make it, you know, for a year or two in the MBA when I'm in my late 20s. And then what am I going to do when I'm 30? I can learn this and do this the rest of my life. It was a conscious, you know, thought process in my head and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing. It was a try by fire. Because of my size, they stuck me right in the middle of everything. I had no clue what was going on. Man. It was insane.
1: You were, you were like the center of the trading floor.
2: Well, I was in what they called the point, right? So it's kind of, I was, you know, the center in college, so was the pit. Uh, the pivot, now it's the point, you know, not a point guard, but because in the spot that was between the silver and the gold pit, we're very close to one another. So I could stand kind of in a spot where I could see back into the into the uh, booth, right? And they had the largest booth with the most phones that are ringing off the OKR, clerks answering the phones. You got a bank of, as you can see in the picture, of steps where guys are standing arbitraging or on the phone with OPEC or London Bullion or whatever. And they're either screaming the orders at me, I'm getting the paper in, I'm handing it into this ring, that ring, I have the book. And I mean, that was my second day there. They gave me this job. And I mean, talk about trial by fire. I mean, we had, there's a lot of stories, but we had one guy who came in and he was a big shot. He had this big book of business and he was like, you know, God's, he jumped over everybody to get to where he was. And he and he literally, and I'm not kidding. The You know, the first couple of hours was a wild morning. And then around 10, 30, 11 o'clock, things would calm down and start taking rotating bathroom breaks. This guy went to the bathroom, never came back. So that's kind of, that's kind of how it was. It was very physical. You know, very male-dominated, that's for sure. And uh, it was rough and tumble, for sure.
1: Amazing. Listen, I got to ask you this, because in in some ways, it's it's kind of a a strange echo when you talk about those days. You know, you had those guys on the floor, uh, then fresh in their memory, 1970s stagflation, uh, devaluation, obviously OPEC crisis, uh, all of these things. Nixon pulling us off the gold standard, I guess, in 72. Fresh in the memory of the guys who you were trading with. In what ways, if any... Do you see parallels with Bitcoin uh, in terms of finding this precious metals-like hedge against potential, potential currency devaluation? Well, I
2: think it has, you know, I don't want to, see, to me, it's interesting, just before I even answer that question, when you see in social media or in presentations or on TV, I mean, it's like Bitcoin versus gold. it's like, okay, I want to own both. I mean, what, why do you have to decide one or the other? It's like, if you like Bitcoin, gold people think you're, you're an ass. And if you like gold, and Bitcoin people think you're a jerk. And it's like, no, wait a second. All right, gold has value. I mean, it's created in the last minutes, and although now there's new theories on this, so I might be speaking too soon, but it's been accepted. Gold's created in the last seconds of a supernova. It's precious in the universe, created by the universe. That gives it a special property that has been mystical for thousands of years. So it has a place. It's not going to go wet, right? Certainly in times of, you know, co- coronal mass ejections or power grids down. I mean, gold is going to be preferred over electronic currency, that's for sure. Having said that, I think Bitcoin has bigger potential in the near term in the sense of simple. It's real simple to me. I don't have to get into all of this debate because it comes down for me to one very simple thing you have currencies crashing around the world. I mean, crashing 98 to 99% depreciation in the purchasing power of these currencies since 2008 in 15 years. That's not an exaggeration. Those are the numbers. And in a place like Pakistan or Turkey or Argentina, or uh, you know even the latest one where we're talking about, uh, uh, what's the one now we're talking about? Uh, Nigeria. I mean, you know, going to the local bullion dealer to pick up some gold is not really the way it's going to work, right? Everyone has a phone, has an app, you can have a wallet and buy Bitcoin. So to me, you know, the potential for this to be widespread in that kind of scenario where it's, you know, a, you know, a flight to safety, safety, I think Bitcoin would do very well.
1: Yeah, and it is it's so interesting, the, the case. I think lots of times when folks talk about uh, Bitcoin, they forget that this is truly a global commodity, this idea that you can essentially, you know, you have been places in the developing world, developing Asia, developing Africa, everybody has a cell phone. Everybody yeah. has a cell phone. So you have access That's this leapfrogging effect where the wireless technology has jumped over landlines. I was mean, just really fascinating. We talked about that uh, all day, but I want to get to your charts uh, as well. Walk us through mm-hmm. them. I know you brought us a couple uh, to unpack some of the views that you got.
2: Yeah, just really looking at two currencies in particular, but the list is long. I mean, Turkey, Pakistan, I mean, there's a whole bunch of Angola. You know, but uh, Nigeria and Angola to me are kind of special cases. Can you talk about OPEC? In, a, in the case of Nigeria, I mean, capacity potentially three million, maybe even a little more per day. And what are they producing? The last number I saw was like seven hundred thousand barrels a day. It might have gone up since then, but the the point is, there is excess capacity there that's being wasted. You have natural gas there, to whatever extent Germany is involved. But uh, you you have a situation where the currency's collapsed now. All right. They've raised rates to high levels. And it's talk about a loop. Ruel mentioned loops before. That's another good way to look at some of these things. In this case, it is a loop, right? The currency goes down because you're trying to stimulate the economy. Well, the currency down drives inflation higher. Inflation higher makes the currency go down more. And you're in this cycle now where this is what you get. And uh, Nigerian Central Bank raised interest rates by 400 basis points yesterday uh, to 22.75 on their reference rate. And, uh, you know, inflation is 30%. So the Naira is getting whacked. And you can see in terms of whether it's against the dollar or against gold, the purchasing power of this currency is getting decimated for the people that live there. Then you take a place like Argentina or even Turkey. I mean, Turkey is a country with 80 million people. You know, you take a place like Argentina. I mean, the currencies have gotten wasted. It's a 99% depreciation in the purchasing power of that currency relative to an ounce of gold since 2008. So... To hey, me, Greg, I'll, you know, tell you,
1: I'll tell you a funny story uh, about mm-hmm. Turkey. I was at an event uh, a couple of months ago, and uh, a Turkish businessman I was talking to uh, said, "Oh, you do a lot of crypto shows on Real Vision." I said, "Yeah." He said, "Listen, if you want guests uh, for uh, for your show, all you need to do is go to Turkey and go to a cafe and grab three waiters. They'll know more about cryptocurrency than anybody you have on there because <laughs> it's all they talk <laughs> about here, right? Because yeah. you see what's happened to the currency. The Turkish lira has gotten absolutely hammered." Uh, and everybody's looking for a stable store of value, or something, something to offset what's happened.
2: And what's interesting, really, the, the most glaring thing in all of this is you have the dollar unable to break uh, to the upside. I mean, you got it, got it above the, the dollar index above one hundred four thirty-five, which was the first level, but one hundred seven fifty is huge because this goes all the way back to like the seventies and some of the you know some of the cycles, the wave counts, the Fibonacci numbers, all the math, the geometry, all overlays on this. And to the degree that what I find interesting is this ties back to the Fed, because the Fed, the market so wants the Fed to ease that they priced in so much easing that they were their own worst enemy, because the Fed's never going to acquiesce to that, because they're not going to cut rates six or seven times when the stock market is at record highs and gold's at $2,000 an ounce. There's just no way. And, And inflation is still well above their target rate. So... Kind of the market gave them the excuse to, you know, go back to being somewhat hawkish. Now I think there's something to be said about the 4.75 level on the forward Fed funds for the end of this year. When they got to 4.75, which it hit again today, but last week when it got there, that's when you marched out. I think with Bowman and Bostic or two two of the Fed guys, uh, ladies or whatever, uh, and we're talking about, uh, you know, that t- two or three cuts would be appropriate for this year. So it's almost like you had verbal intervention on the top side, too, at 475, because I think they understand. Look at the housing market, all right? You could say the labor market is strong, and I could rip that apart in in literally five minutes, because it's not. People were all excited, headline-making news, every channel covers average hourly earnings. We're big monthly gain, the year-over-year rate's up to 4.5. Oh, my God, it's above inflation. We have the ladder now where people can afford to pay more what people didn't bother to look at to dig in was what we do dig as deep as you can get with this data was that hours work dropped significantly. As a result, average weekly earnings, take home pay, deflated in the month and is only 2.9 year over year, which is below almost any rate of inflation. So again, you're at a situation where wage inflation on a real basis is negative to flat, savings we know are dissipated and you have credit cards you borrowed out, you know, out, 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 the door. I mean, it's incredible the borrowing and credit cards through economic need. Number one, and now banks are saying, you know, we expect to tighten standards on credit cards and auto loans throughout the year. So you want to make comparisons back to the '70s, right? Powell has followed the Volcker playbook all the way. Powell did exactly what he told us we're going to do. He was very transparent. He did everything he said. Allow inflation to run. No tolerance bands. It doesn't matter how high it gets, we're gonna let it stay there and then we'll raise rates dramatically and bring it back down. The difference is, in, in Volker's first Humphrey Hawkins testimony, he said, we don't want a credit contraction. Hal and Janet Yellen have said, a credit contraction wouldn't be a bad thing. And while it's needed, if you, if you let that, that genie out of the bottle, that could be a big problem in terms of the, you know the deflation that you get, because if you can't borrow money, We've already seen what happens to the economy when it costs more to borrow money. What happens if you can't borrow money? That'd be a bigger problem, obviously.
1: We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Yeah, and one that we haven't seen or spoken about since 2008. Craig, listen, while you're walking through these charts, I just want to tell folks uh, about Greg Weldon New Age Investing, which is available right now on the Real Vision Marketplace uh, currently. Uh, If you want to check that out, head over to realvision.com forward slash RV Marketplace. That's realvision.com forward slash RV Marketplace. So just to just put that out there, there's lots of uh, interesting stuff uh, for folks to take a look at. Uh, Craig, you mentioned, uh, the idea and we've talked about it a little bit throughout the show, uh, stagflation, you know, as you look at this across the world, uh, where, what's the breakdown that you see between the stag and the flation?
2: <laughs> yeah, we had that talk. I mean, it is, it's, you know, everything's polarized and there's a lot of science behind why that is, and none of which has to do with driving SUVs on planet Earth, beings and our carbon footprints, but that's a whole nother discussion. Um, we see stagflation everywhere. I mean. And there's the few places where you don't see it are really interesting to me, like Japan for number one, all right, which is really strong economically with low inflation. Uh, And then you have other places where not only is inflation coming down, but growth is collapsing, like Thailand, all right? You're in a recession and uh, CPI year over year is minus 1.1. So when you talk about stagflation, uh, you really see it specifically in some of the Eastern European countries. And Kind of in the Anglo countries. I think you see it in the UK, you see it in the US for sure. I see stagflation in the US all over the place. When you look at PPI and you strip out some of the stuff and you look at the service sector in PPI, it's pretty robust. I mean, I don't think inflation is going to be back down to two anytime soon unless energy takes another big tumble, let alone if energy rises. And that I think it's the biggest fear for the Fed, one of them. And we know how sticky service price inflation is, it's in PPI. I mean, even then the pipeline is already pushing back the other way. So I find that interesting. Then I look at retail sales. And like I said, with the labor market, all right, a big headline gain in the non-farm payrolls, but the household survey employment fell and the number of people not in the labor force fell and the, and the number of people that dropped out fell. So you know that's amazing to me. It's, it's just kind of telegraphs data massaging but I'm not gonna say that. But when you look at the retail sales numbers, They look strong on a year-over-year basis, but that's because last year you had a very small drop seasonally from December to January. If you take the unadjusted numbers, it gives you a much better picture of the drop seasonally from the holiday season to January, which is the big seasonal. And this number, this retail sales number was terrible. And a lot of the discretionary sectors down year-over-year in dollar terms. So you have a recession in a consumer that's not really visible yet, uh, we know the situation in commercial real estate. Here's one for you, right? The Fed's balance sheet last week, it showed a 3.8 billion, I think it was, 3 point something billion increase, all right? In the, first it was a 2.8 billion increase in their balance sheet. So QT is going on, but the balance sheet expanded. And while it's not the long-term funding, the bank term funding anymore, which was the emergency uh, facility that banks were using for commercial real estate when they were you know, having some issues, but now it's what they call, um, bank uh, bank uh, receipts and its properties, and including like stuff like parking lots that banks own that are failed banks. And this jumped over $3 billion in the most recent week. So there's still these underlying issues with the banks. So you can break down the economy and see that. And the geopolitical situation still to me is un- unresolved. And you have a situation where it's not really a bearish supply demand fundamental for energy anyway. So that's a risk factor. Um, But plenty of places you see stagflation, particularly in Europe.
1: And Greg, slightly different uh, point I want to make here because you touched on it a little bit, talking about banks, commercial real estate, uh, the idea of owning parking lots. One thing that I have not heard resolved, at least to my understanding here, uh, is what's potentially going to happen. Look, we saw a durable shift in supply and demand in commercial real estate. I mean, the world changed. Uh, with the pandemic, folks are not going in and like they did in the madman days, taking Metro North into New York City, sitting at a desk from uh, eight to six. That, that world is passed. What happens uh, when you have these commercial real estate vacancies, and uh, when you have those, the lending that's been done against it? Is that something that concerns you? Because it really concerns me.
2: Well, it concerns me, but it doesn't concern me at all. And the reason it doesn't concern me at all is because you know that I know that you know that I know. The Fed's just going to print more money, man. Come on. So this is the the case for a lot of the asset uh, dynamics here. The question is, how do we get there? And how much pain does it take in the interim to get the Fed to where the market wants them to be? And I have a real issue with this battle between the market and the Fed, because in the past, the market has always been right. And I think in this case, it's the first time that the market's really kind of been wrong. And a lot of the buildup in the stock market is predicated upon that. So I think that it is a big problem. It does worry me a lot. I think when you look at the banks, I mean, we know the numbers, man. I mean, you know, 80% of CRE loans are held by small banks. Uh, 35% of them by banks with less than 10 billion in assets. And you have 1.7 trillion maturing in the next 18 months, and you're inside of that now. So yeah, it's concerning. Well, what does that mean? Hey, Fed prints another 1.7 trillion. Big deal, right? They print that every year. Who cares, right? Well, you know, people care, and this is where the you know the standard of living goes down and where you print more money, and where all of a sudden a situation like Argentina and Turkey and Pakistan and Venezuela, I mean, I've been saying for years, you know, 50 years from now, the U.S. will look more like Venezuela than it does the U.S. today. And I stick to that. I've been saying that for, you know, 15 years. And you don't have to drive around too many places very far to see scenes in the U.S. that look like Venezuela. All right. So what are we going to do? We're going to print more money. We're going to debase the dollar. We're going to inflate people out of owning homes. And let's talk about housing, for example. I mean, starts and permits are flat. All right. Demand will will skyrocket the second the Fed starts cutting rates because mortgage rates will drop. You haven't had that demand, but you don't have enough homes. Supply is scarce. It's going to drive prices sky high. You're going to have a whole nother problem on the flip side of inflation affecting consumers and affecting their ability to Grow discretionary spending, and you need growth. Being flat or being equal to inflation and growth isn't good enough because it's not good enough to service the debt.
1: Yeah, boy, that that's something we could spend uh, three hours talking on. Talk to a young couple uh, who are thinking yeah. about uh, starting a family, and it's well.
2: Let me let me just throw this at you. I mean, think about what they're doing. I mean, they borrow more money from taxpayers to give weapons to Ukraine, number one, as opposed to you know securing the border. But let's really, you know, let's really cut it down into just the nub of it, all right? You have social security. It's bankrupt, we know, you can't do it, all right? The last guy that had a plan to fix it was Paul Ryan from Wisconsin, and they basically ran him out of town, all right? It was a great plan, but nobody wanted to hear it because no one wants to sacrifice anything. It's like, okay, we want to fix it, but I don't want to to you know, give up anything. So what you're doing is you're taking money from the people coming into the workforce, the 20 and 30 year olds, you're taking money from new investors to pay off the retired people, which are the what? The old investors cashing out. What does that sound like to you?
1: No comment.
2: <laughs> I, I I cringe and I shudder to say the word, but I hesitate to say the word.
1: But you know, hey. I <laughs> hey, mean, listen. One thing <laughs> I want to touch on here, while we're while we're talking about uh, Greg, well, the new age investing is research. Uh, all this week at Real Vision, we're hosting a series called "How the Pros Do It." Of course, Greg's part of that, uh, and we're talking about research today. We had two all stars, Geo Chen. And Paul Hodges, I just want to take a quick look at that clip. The the good thing about looking across many different asset classes is that I don't need to be involved in any one market if nothing is going on. Um, You know, I can look across a lot of places to see where there are opportunities. Um, And, and that's, you know, that's kind of the, the good thing about trading global macro going back to you know always be learning like global macro is is one of the you know one of the professions where you always have to be learning about new markets uh, geopolitics uh, new economies businesses everything um, because if you don't then then you don't survive you know you, you need to adapt so adaptability is is the key to the game all right a lot of really interesting stuff in there about geopolitics about markets about the new economy. Greg, as we sort of, I want to frame up what we've been talking about here uh, in terms of market impact, what you're going to be looking for. Uh, let's bring it all together in terms of all the narrative that we've cooked in to this conversation. Tell us what you're expecting the impact for markets to be here in the shorter term.
2: Volatility, more volatility, more polarization, more, you know, really, I, I wouldn't say it's difficult. It's always difficult. The markets are always tough and, Whenever you think you've got it down is when the markets are going to slap you around because you just can't, you know, you just can't think about it that way. You always have to be cautious and yet aggressive, kind of like playing high stakes poker, you know, tight, but aggressive. And I think right now playing tight and aggressive is the way to be very tight because a lot of whipsaws, a lot of markets going in different directions, a lot of uncertainties here. So it's kind of close to the vest. And, you know, one of the products that we put out there is called the portfolio playbook, not to be salesman. I hate that kind of thing. But. It's a really good product. We have some institutional clients that absolutely love it that, you know, for their RIAs and the people like you were talking about before with Bitcoin, uh, where we break down from both a quantitative, a technical, and a fundamental perspective, you know, macro-monetary-wise, and kind of look at what are the sectors performing best. Like, for example, biotech just broke out. We just got along biotech. The pharma's breaking out. We like that too. Wood, for example, because all of a sudden now you're kind of seeing the XHB is at new highs. We had that. And we just pitched it and then uh so we want to be involved in that with some of the materials now too so you have the cut and the wood or two of the etfs we can use the equity market to give the flexibility almost of being a cta of being a hedge fund type of person because that's what i think people need to do to keep pace with the money printing because the stock market will go up and that's great And you want to be passively invested you want to be you know 100 in or whatever but hey you know, the Marvalli in Argentina makes a new high. The Nigerian NGX makes a new high every single day. But it's not keeping pace. So, you know, when you can use the ETFs to trade currencies, metals, commodities, food commodities, uh, bonds, cur- you know, you really need to do that. So one of the products we have helps people to, you know, align their portfolio in a way that will help them outperform, frankly. Uh, we've, we've liked the tech sector. We've had the XLK for a long time. I don't see right now any reason to pitch that. But I think, you know, there's a lot of other things you need to be involved in because uh, it's just, you know, again, uh, being passive or just, you know, being all in on seven stocks, uh, that's going to create the kind of volatility is going to keep you awake at night. And, you know, it's going to, it's going to really test you in terms of greed, hope and fear, which are the things that make you make decisions that maybe are not the optimum decision from an investment standpoint.
1: Yeah, it seems like every time there's a, you know, a pack of stocks that gets a name, uh, there's a lot of risk in it in terms of uh, the, the volatility that you talked about. Those folks who uh, got some gray hairs will remember the nifty 50 uh, and others. Uh, Greg, you know, to exactly that point, we got some questions. I wish we had more time because uh, we have some really good ones. But I want to touch on this one uh, from Ralph Humphrey, uh, who's making a similar point to what you're making there. What does Greg think about copper, other base metals, wheat, corn, and natural gas? You can see his thinking here talking about uh, commodities, potential hedge.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I like copper right here. Um, I find it you know, interesting that copper hasn't kind of reacted negatively like some of the other base metals have, aluminum, nickel in particular. But of course, nickel is tied into lithium, and we know what's been going on in that sector. So I think that there's a good chance nickel has bottom, in fact. Uh, when you look at the swap rates, all of a sudden, you know, you know are in deep contango, man. I mean, this is, this is priced real bearishly in nickel. And I don't think that's warranted based on the supply demand fundamentals in the longer term. Same thing with copper. I mean, inventories have started to fall again, and they've turned down from an historically low level. And you hear on TV, well, nickel, uh, copper inventories have doubled, which they have from like near record lows. And they're still at what would be historically low levels. Um, So, you know, the problem, the risk here, though, is the economic side of it. Uh, So what you're kind of pinning your hopes on is that it's a dollar play. And that's kind of where it comes down to. Really, some of these markets are waiting for the dollar to break. The dollar will break. It's a question of, does it break out first before it breaks down? And I don't know. I just don't know. I think that the Fed wouldn't mind if it appreciated some. It would help bring some of these commodities down, which would make them more comfortable in that they want to be confident and ensure that inflation gets back down to two. What's the best way to do that? Be a little tight too long. Let the dollar rise and smack the commodities down. And then maybe they'd be opening up to easing. So I don't know where the interim is, but I think the next big trend trade is going to be bullish. Some of these things, copper would be among them. Uh, I would say soybeans would be among them. I would say cotton would be among them. I would say there's a host of commodities. Uh, In terms of natural gas, uh, I can tell you this for natural gas. Just did a special on this. If that gentleman wants to shoot me an email and send it to him, it's not real in-depth, but it's pretty in-depth. Basically says, I mean, yeah, the fundamental situation is, is a supply glut for all intents and purposes. But how much of that's priced into the market when the front month is trading you know, $1.40 and when you're talking about a winter month at a huge discount to the summer months? You don't see that very often. To me, that suggests this market has, is sold out and priced in as much negative news as they're going to be. The other point is, any time that the, the price of natural gas has been below $1.50 in the last 25 years, there's been value there. And the last time it was, it got up to $4, so it almost doubled, right? But every other time that it's been below $1.50, in the subsequent 24 months, it, at some point it was up 200% from there. So, you know, it's cheap relative to CRB, it's cheap relative to heating oil, it's cheap relative to crude oil. So I like those things, and natural gas be something that doesn't necessarily need the dollar to give it the juice it might need, like in copper or in even the energies or the other base metals.
1: Greg, this show has been an absolute barn burner. I wish we had seven hours uh, to unpack some, all of this, but uh, only one solution. You're just going to have to come back and do this with us more often. Uh, Great show. Final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our listeners and our viewers with.
2: Man, that's a good question. I mean, uh, the key takeaway is to, you know, if you're really, you're doing your own thing, it pays to really kind of dig deep into the data and to not just take what you see on in social media and on TV and even the headlines in Reuters. I have found, and this is not—I'm not being mean or mean spirited at all—but you know, understand that some of these organizations, let's take a Reuters or a Bloomberg, because I'm not singling out any one of them. Um, you know, when you have some of these writers, you know, they're younger kids that came out of college and don't have a lot of experience with the markets. They're journalists, probably majors and whatnot. I see some stories that just make no sense. It's like okay, come up with a story why copper went down today. And it's like they write up this story that makes no sense. It's last week's news, and it really wouldn't even be negative for copper anyway. So I think that people are better served to really do their own homework uh, and kind of stick with what they know to whatever extent uh, or find someone, there's plenty of great money managers out there. Uh, and I think that, you know, not again to kind of be salesman, which I, I hate to do, but in the context of what I do as a CTA, all of us, CTAs, will provide more value in the future because you're going to need to be in other things more nimble, more quick, more diversified, and uh, more flexible. So uh, I would offer all of those things as suggestions to every everyone out there, doing Greg, those, those things, th- nimble, quick, diversified, and uh, involved.
1: Greg, those kids, they've they got a deadline. They can't give their editor nothing.
2: <laughs> I write something, man.
1: I know. and it's you
2: know, hey, you got to start somewhere and all that kind of thing. And this is this is the business. But understand, you're not going to find the real story by you know reading the Reuters stories. And you know some of them have great stories. I mean, you know, if you want some some real color on some of these things, they're a good stories. But if you want the real truth. The truth is always in the numbers. The truth is always in the math. Uh, so dig into the data first.
1: Brilliantly said, and that's why we do these conversations. Greg Weldon, Weldon Financial, fantastic conversation. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure.
2: You guys do a great job, and thanks to Rolo.
1: And thank you all so much for watching or for listening to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Remember, if you want access to the research we were discussing today uh, from pros like Greg and others, head over to realvision.com forward slash RV Marketplace. That's realvision.com forward slash RV Marketplace to see what RV member discounts are available. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. See you all then. Have a great afternoon, everybody.
3: We hope you enjoyed this episode. At Real Vision, we arm you with the expert knowledge, time efficient tools, and a powerful network to help you succeed on your financial journey. Get a taste of financial freedom with our free offer at realvision.com forward slash free.